And the choir didn't sing this morning. I'm even farther ahead of schedule than I normally am. Brother Andrew, you got me up here quick. All right. I'm, that's good because I feel like this is a little bit longer of a message and I was trying to figure out what to keep out and I don't have to worry about anything, right? We could just, uh, let's go ahead, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, if you would, and uh, thank you for coming out this morning. Uh, as, far as, as far as this message goes, I have preached this before. It was uh, The last time I preached it was a long time ago. I did use this in a Sunday school uh, much more recently. Now, I, I want to explain why I'm doing it again, uh, because uh, I have a series of messages that I've slowly added on to and I've built on. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, by the way, is where we are in case I didn't say that right. Uh, 2 Timothy 3. Um, but as far as uh, a series of messages go, there are some very important things that God has given us. Uh, certain things that He has put into our lives, certain things that He wants us to have, wants us to utilize. And oftentimes people don't understand why they should be important. Uh, we get our priorities very mixed up and very uh, really shaken up and changed. And uh, oftentimes we don't prioritize some of the things we ought to prioritize. And oftentimes we don't understand why we should. Uh, you know, some people, uh, they, they think that certain things are important. Well, it's, it's important uh, to do these things at these times. Uh, some people go, well, uh, it's important you have to do this. Uh, you know, you have, to get, you have to buy a house at a certain age, and you have to have a college degree in this, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. And they place such a premium on certain things that they miss out on what God might want them to do differently. I'm not saying that getting an education or buying a house or doing any of those things are bad. Those aren't necessarily bad things. It is the question of, well, what does God want me to do? And why is it important to figure those pieces out? Why is it important to have certain things in the right order and the right priorities in our lives? Uh, and so I have a series of messages that I have continued to add to, some of which I've preached before and some of which I haven't preached yet. Uh, and it's a series on important things. And it's not necessarily what that thing is. It is necessarily why do we have it? Why do we have certain things that God has given us? What is the point of having it? Uh, and why would God think it's so important that we do have it? Uh, and so to this morning, uh, although I have done this more recently, this is ultimately the foundation of the entirety of the series. So I can't really just skip it because I did it in a Sunday school lesson. Uh, I didn't feel like I could do that, and I really think the Lord wants me to go in this direction. So uh, over the next probably few months... Uh, I have that many. Uh, over the next few months, I'm going to preach on important things on Sunday mornings. Uh, just things that ought to be important and instilled into our lives and why God put them there. Why do we have certain things? The first, of course, is the Bible. Uh, this morning is on the importance of the Bible. Why would God give us a Bible in the Scriptures and why do we have one? Uh, we're going to talk a lot about a, a lot of different things. You know, why do we have a church? Why do we have the ability to pray to God? Why do we have uh, the ability to witness? Why do we have, uh, you know, the Holy Ghost? Why is that here? Why do we have a judgment seat of Christ? Why do we have, there's all sorts of things that we have that God has given us and they're important, but we don't emphasize them very well in our lives sometimes. And so I want to emphasize some of those things and give you some maybe some understanding as to why those are instilled into our lives. Why do we have those things? Because oftentimes when we neglect those things, it costs us greatly. And so let's go ahead and read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 14. 
He says this, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Speaking to Timothy here, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works." Uh, now, Paul has gone here, ahead here and he has gone ahead and laid some things out to Timothy. Uh, he has laid some things out and the importance of what the scripture is. Now, uh, we live in a society today, we live in uh, a world today that even in Christian realms the statement is, uh, well, uh, what is the scriptures? What is the scriptures? A world today, uh, Christianity in general today, says, well, those are just the originals. Well, the problem with that is, verse number 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Verse 15, Timothy knew the Scriptures. He didn't have originals. <laughs> he, he didn't have any first edition of Isaiah kicking around. He didn't have those. And God says that he had the scriptures. Paul's statement, you know the holy scriptures. Well, then he has the scriptures. He has them for himself. And he has them so that he can know them. And you get into the question of, well, you know, what is it? Now, uh, we believe it here. I believe it thoroughly. I have no question about it and I have no qualms about it. I believe if you're holding a King James Bible in your hands, not a new King James a King James Bible in your hands, you have the scriptures pure and perfect in the English language. Now, the problem we have is uh, that people would say, well, no, that, that can't possibly be it. Uh, and that's fine. You can, you can believe whatever you want to believe. But the problem comes, Psalm chapter 12 and verse 6 and 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them. Keep what? Keep what? What is he keeping? Just five little letters right there. Words. He's keeping words. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Either God has done that or he hasn't. Now you say, well, why does it have to be a King James Bible? If you want to believe it's an NIV, go ahead. But he preserved it somewhere. I won't take it from you if you believe it somewhere. You can go ahead and have it. If that's yours, then that's yours. But you better live by it as if it is. The problem we have is, well, you know, we can't know what the scriptures are. Yes, you can. He's promised to keep them. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In the Old Testament, God has set it up. He has designed it in the Old Testament. Most of the Old Testament is in, of course, Hebrew. I know there's Aramaic passages and you can do all the things, uh, but ultimately it's in Hebrew. Say, so why was it in Hebrew? Because the oracles of God were given to the Jews. I'll give you a little history lesson on some of this uh, as a way of introduction. Uh, the, the Bible was given in Hebrew to the Jews. If you wanted to find God in the Old Testament, you know where you had to go? You had to go see the Jews. You had to go to Jerusalem and go see them and worship and convert. 
That's what you had to do. In the New Testament, a great change happens. If you don't think the Old Testament is different than the New Testament, why is one called old and one called new? All right? I, I'm just... So that sounds silly and simple. It's that simple. I don't understand why there wouldn't be a difference. Now you hit the difference. You say, what's the difference? Jesus Christ is the difference. Right? Jesus Christ steps into the New Testament. Salvation goes that He did not die just for the Jews. He didn't come just for one people. Now He showed up and He wanted them and He wanted to be their Messiah and He wanted to be their Savior, but they reject Him and He says, okay, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It becomes a universal. So Hebrew's not going to do it. You say, what does He do? He puts it in Greek. The New Testament shows up. It's in Koine Greek. It's in the common man's Greek language. It's not, it's not in the unseals, and I can do all the cool things. Trust me, I can go ahead and we can we go to my office. I'll grab three or four different Greek texts, and you can go ahead and check them out. You won't be able to read them, and neither will anybody else, but that's fine. So what did he do? He put it in there. Why? So that the known world of his day would be able to get the gospel. You realize that now, in the day in which you and I live, men have constantly tried to translate a Bible. Greek was the universal language of its day, and men have tried to make it become available to the common man. Jerome goes ahead and translates it into Latin for his day. You say, was it perfect? Seems like it was the perfect Latin one. I'm not answering for somebody else's language. I don't know. What's the right Spanish Bible? I don't know. I don't read Spanish. What's the right French Bible? I don't know. I don't, I don't read French. So what's the right English Bible? King James Bible. I can answer that. So how can you answer that? Well, Wycliffe goes ahead and he's the first one to translate it into English. Uh, he is deemed a heretic. They deem him a heretic so badly that they go ahead and dig up his bones so they could burn those too. Say for what? For translating a Bible into English. Wycliffe goes ahead and makes his translation and suffers the consequences for it, according to the Catholic Church. Anyways, uh, the men who, follow, who would follow him are willing to give their lives, many of which are burned at the stake, to give you an English Bible. Why does the Scriptures matter? Okay. Maybe that men would give their lives. Ultimately, King James would be utilized to produce what is the perfect English text, the King James Bible. So how can you say that? Uh, you can go ahead and do, the, do your own research. Feel free. That's the seventh English Bible. It's the seventh translation of the English Bible. So where did it come from? It came from, it came from the majority text. Textus Receptus, whatever way you want to call it. It wasn't taken from corrupted manuscripts and everything else. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of that. But every, every, every new translation does not come from that same text. You say, but they say they, I know they say. You know what's amazing to me? You open a new King James Bible that says that all they did was update the King James Bible, which they didn't, that's a lie. You go ahead and read some footnotes in there. Now, they said all we looked at was the majority text. 
That's what they told you. But when you hit the footnote, it says in the other manuscript, it says this. How do you know what it says in another manuscript if you didn't look at it? And they eliminate and changed what was supposed to be there. So how do you know what's supposed to be in another text if you never looked at it? Well, then you lied to me. Why are you basing what you put in the text off of something you told me you didn't use? Why are you putting footnotes in and having somebody question what was supposed to be there? Say, so what is it? It's dishonest, and it's deceitful, and I know who's a deceiver. Now you can go, well, uh, you know, I mean, the majority of things are there, and you can go ahead and get all the ideas and the themes. God didn't tell you he was preserving the ideas and the themes. He told you he was preserving his words. In fact, the psalmist's statement is, uh, the words, plural, of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth. It's the words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant love it. We love the word, but we love the words. It's keeping the words. Every word of God is pure. Every word. Well, then it's a question of what did they do with the words? The lowest, the lowest preservation moment for God is the words. If the words are not right, you do not have the right one. So that's easy for you to say that way. You can believe whichever one you have if you'd be willing to believe it. So what is this? This is just my introduction. If you don't think it's a King James Bible, that's fine. Acts chapter 8 and verse 37 is my favorite one. I can go to literally hundreds of verses. But in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, the new versions eliminate Salvation. They eliminate one of the greatest declarations of Jesus Christ and they make salvation baptism in that passage. You can say that doesn't matter, but it gives you a proof text for Campbellism. So what is that? That baptism saves you. It gives you the proof text for the Catholic Church that you can go ahead and baptize babies because if baptism is the thing that saves you, do it as early as you possibly can. That makes sense, but it's not true. You can go to proof text after proof text after proof text if you want to, but it's only found in not the right Bible. What does it matter if that one spot is changed? It matters because it gives you grounds to be able to go ahead and do whatever you want to do on that point. And it also makes a contradiction of points in other places. And now you do have errors in a Bible. Today the Bible goes ahead, uh, Acts 8.37, by the way, is the verse they omit. If you have a King James Bible, it is the declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. By the Ethiopian eunuch before he goes down into the water to get baptized. What's the thing that hinders me from being baptized? That's the question. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And the answer is omitted. I don't know who wouldn't want that declaration in there. Today the Bible is in a universal language. It's in English. You realize that the Hebrew was done because it was specific for the Jews. The New Testament was done in Koine Greek to reach a world. As the translations happen and we get to the pinnacle, ultimately, I know that we're conceited Americans at times, the pinnacle of language is not right now. 
we have the worst grammatical structure here in the United States, all right? It's pathetic. The King's English, as it is commonly called, Elizabethan English, whatever you want to call it, by the way, is not Old English. At best, it's Middle English, but anyways, uh, you say, what is that? That is, that is the pinnacle of English. That is the absolute pinnacle of the English language. And God preserved His Word right there. And by the way, God does not have to dumb His Word down because Americans aren't smart enough to read it. So that is insulting to Americans. I am one, okay? All right? Just because we don't educate ourselves well enough to understand some things doesn't mean you shouldn't rise to the occasion. The Lord gave you a pure book. Why, do you have to, why does it have to be made so easy for you? I'm going to get to that here in a little while. You realize that God goes ahead and preserves His Word in the English language and He hands it to us in English. Well, why would God put it in English? Because English is the universal language of this world. Now, I know that everybody wants you to have to push to to go ahead to get English. But that's not really the case. Spanish is not the world language. <laughs> French is not the world language. Whatever other language you'd like to throw out there, it's not the world language. You say, how do you know that? Because everybody who deals in commerce deals in English. It's the world's language. You can get by now in almost any major country in the world, in the cities, by speaking English. Because virtually anybody under the age of 30 and maybe even 40 speaks English in some way. Every major city in the world. And then they tell you, well, it's not English. It shouldn't be English. Okay, go ahead and try that with Spanish in any major city in the world. You won't make it. But you will with English. You say that's, that's American superiority thoughts. No. That's the truth of the Bible. The Bible's put in English. God knows the last language he needs it to be in is sitting right there, and it's right with you. If you have a King James Bible, you have it. So why is it so important that God makes it so that everybody has a Bible available to them that they could pick up and read? Because the idea is that you have them so you can read them. The Catholic Church squashed that idea. They didn't like the idea of mankind being able to read it. They didn't encourage their people, and they did all of their services in a language that nobody could understand because they were the ones who could understand it for you and tell you what it says, and then they lied to you. By the way, if I were to be the one who'd stand up here and say, well, I have it and you don't have it, and you can't get it, but unless I tell you what it is, I'm a liar. It makes no difference what religion it is or whatever other standing you have. I do not have a corner of the market on what God said. That's why I gave it to you freely. And he gave it to you so you could have it, so you could read it, so you could ponder it, so you could get to know God by yourself. Why is it that Job is willing to say that he esteems the words of his mouth more than his necessary food? The words of the mouth of God is more important to him than his own food. Why is it that the psalmist would say that it's very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it? Why would the Lord say that he magnifies his word above all his name if it doesn't really matter? The problem we have is we have a problem of the idea that, hey, uh, 
it doesn't really matter which one I grab. And it doesn't really matter, but if it's important enough to God to say, I'm going to put it up above my own name. Now, if you don't know how highly God regards his own name, uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. That's how high he holds his name. He holds his name up so high that every knee at the very spoken name of Jesus Christ goes ahead and drops. And then he says, my word's more important to me than that. But mankind leaves it off to the side and leaves it to chance as to whichever one we feel like for today. Why is it important to have the Bible? Why is it important to know the Bible? Why is it important? What does it matter? Well, we'll get into that here in just a moment. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, that was the end of my introduction. Like I said, this is a little longer of a message. So thanks, Brother Andrew, for hurrying up. All right. Lord, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for your goodness. Father, we love you and we pray you would just bless the hour. Help me to say everything just the way you want it said. Nothing more and nothing less. Father, I don't want to offend. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to say anything the way I shouldn't say it. But Father, I do want to give glory and praise to the one, the one book on the planet that I know you've given to me. And so, Father, I do pray that you would bless the day. Help me, Lord, to convey these thoughts. I pray you would minister grace unto the hearers. We love you and we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Notice, uh, the first thing I want you to know, well, why is it important that everybody in the world could have access to a Bible? Why is it that anybody in the world should be able to pick up a Bible, open its pages, and read it? Well, number one, verse number 15 here in this chapter, he says this, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, you realize number one on the list is salvation happens because of the Word of God. If you don't have the Bible, you don't know what salvation is. If you don't open the Scriptures, you have no idea that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You have no clue about what Jesus Christ has done for you without a Bible. Oh, you could hear tell of it and you could hear all the voices and you could hear everybody say all these things and you can go ahead, but then it becomes folklore and mythology. It becomes the telephone game where you pass it on and pass it on and it gets broken down and who knows who's telling the truth anymore. It becomes this great mythos that just kind of swirls around and whatever you feel like about it is fine. But when it gets put down in black and white and the truth of Jesus Christ is put on the pages of a Bible, you know what you find? You find that He is an all-sufficient Savior. Amen. That He was willing to give His life a ransom for many and die for your sins. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from our vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. He tells us that we were redeemed with the incorruptible seed, the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Without the Word of God, you and I have no idea what's true. Say, so why does it matter if I have a Bible? If you have a Bible, you can guarantee the truth of what God had to say. And as soon as you step outside that realm, you have no guarantees anymore. By the way, we sang it this morning. The solid rock, standing on the solid rock. Uh, the Bible is where you stand. <laughs> standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. When you keep changing what you have, you know what you don't have? You don't have anything solid. You need something solid. 
He chose to preserve it. He chose to keep it so that you could be sure that your salvation is found in Him and Him alone. No question. No unsurety. No wonderment. Didn't God save you so that you'd know that you have eternal life? Didn't He, didn't he do that? And He made His promise true so that He could go ahead and show you, hey, you know you have it because I said so? That's what He did. He says in Titus, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have the promise. How do you have salvation without a Bible? You wouldn't know Jesus Christ without a Bible. Now you say, well, I am not one of those people, in case you're wondering, I'm not one of those people who says, well, you know, if uh, somebody cracked open a different version than a King James Bible and I got saved out of something else, then I must not be saved. That's foolishness. All right? It, if you got magnifying Jesus Christ and you understood that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior, uh, a gospel track is not, the, is not a Bible. But it's got the truth of God's Word in it. It's got enough truth that you can get the answer. So I'm not foolish enough to think that, well, God can't use something else. God can use plenty of things. <laughs> he uses an imperfect me to do some things. So he can use an imperfect Bible if he needed to. If that's the only truth somebody has, he's going to go ahead and grab it. And you can disagree with me if you want to, but uh, trust me, I'd rather use a King James Bible. But I've taken, I've taken a Bible from somebody else and said, well, this is mine, and I'll open that up, and every once in a while you've got to turn a few extra pages because you went, oh, that verse isn't in there. I've got to go somewhere else, and you've got to fix it. But you can get some truth in there. Salvation, though, boy, it's easy to have salvation when you get the right one. And the Word of God is there and the truth is right there. And it's tangible. God gave you something tangible to hold on to to know that salvation is yours. Because it's found in the promise of the Bible. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I must say something, so I'm going to ruffle some more feathers, all right? I already know I'm making people super happy this morning. So, I'm going to say this. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. The redemption of, that He paid for at Calvary. Now, right now, some people are enamored by this weird thing happening over in Asbury that's, uh, you know, at this college, and if you don't know about it, don't worry about it. But if you know about it, they want to call it a revival. They want to call it this. They want to call it that. It's none of those things. And I don't say that because I'm a, I'm a grumpy Baptist, all right? That's the idea. Well, you're a grumpy Baptist and you think that nobody can have revival. No, I, you can have revival. In fact, by the way, the Baptists are reasons you've had revival in this country. But anyways, um, go ahead and check out history every once in a while. Um, anyways, uh, you realize that what is happening there is we, God can't bless that. That's not the Lord moving. So how do you know that? You can't have a sodomite stand up and do all the leading and have the Lord bless it. You can't have a woman behind the pulpit preaching and have the Lord bless it. So what do you mean? Those are unscriptural. Those go against what he blesses. Now I'm not saying he doesn't use sinful men to accomplish a task. But you don't get the Holy Spirit of God moving through people who are living and doing these things. 
You can't do something contrary to Scripture and go have God bless it. Go ask Abraham how that works. Go ask the myriad of people throughout the scriptures that you can grab. So don't get pull, pulled into this idea that, well, all these great things are happening and we're moving and everything's good and it's got to be great because obviously they're telling us that it's great. Maybe you ought to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you find out that the signs and the wonders are done by the devil himself. And maybe you ought to try the spirits and find out if they're from God. And when you look up there and you go, well, all that stuff's wicked. Okay, well then, it must not be God. It must be something trying to pretend that it is to pull a world away. To pull Christians into foolishness. Say, well, how do you know? Because when you know the Word of God, you can delineate very quickly what's Him and what's not Him. Well, why do people get confused? Because they don't trust what He said. Well, I see, and you can't tell me that I feel. Okay, well, your feelings are a problem. Because your heart is deceitful. But the Word of God is not deceitful. The Word of God puts out facts for you to be able to trust in and believe Him. Well then, you can delineate very quickly. Look over at uh, Romans chapter 10, verse. Uh, we'll just pick up verse number 17. He says this, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You and I gain our faith by trusting in what God says. The Word of God gives us faith. It helps us to understand what we can and cannot understand outside of Him. We can't understand, well, by it, the heavens were framed, right? We understand by faith that God went ahead and made the universe. Hebrews chapter 11, we read it this morning. Uh, we understand that those things happen. Why? Because of faith. If the Bible's true, then God is true. If the Bible's true, creation happened. If the Bible's true, then Adam and Eve were the first people on the planet, and they sinned by transgression, and they went ahead and fell, and Cain killed Abel, and down the story you go all the way out to today. And if it's not true, then how do you know anything else he said was? Why is it that science wants to prove evolution true so they can deny that God exists? As soon as you deny that God exists on creation, then you go ahead and deny the rest of a book. If we could just disprove that he created a universe, and they can't. <laughs> they could throw out all sorts of theories and try to make it sound good, but it's foolishness. And if you don't believe me, you can ask me after. I'm not going to take all that time right here to disprove evolution. That's not even difficult. But a world buys into it. Why? Because they'll grasp at anything to not have faith that there's a God. Christian, why is it that you can believe in God and you can trust God? Because you and I have man after man, lady after lady, over and over, who decided they would trust God and God came through with what He said He'd do. His words never failed. The words have never come up short. God's promises have never doubted. They've never faltered. They've never wandered. They've never wavered. You and I may, but his book doesn't. Abraham, we talked about him in Sunday school this morning. Abraham, the father of faith, goes ahead and he's supposed to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And the Lord stops him, right? All those things. Abraham was ready to go through with it. Why? Because he believed that God was able to raise him from the dead. 
That is faith. I believe if I kill him, God will just bring him right back. Because, why was he trusting that? Because he had an earlier promise. Abraham's promise, Abraham's thought process, the way Abraham was going, well, he's got to raise him from the dead. He's got to do something. Why? Because God promised that Isaac's the one I'm going to be blessed with. What brought his faith about? What God said. Say, what should encourage me? What should help me grow in faith? What should help me? Reading the Bible. God has done this, and he's 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 done this. And we, well, then I guess he could do that for me. I guess God can come through for me. I mean, he was able to do this over here, and he was able to do that. I mean, he can stop the mouths of lions whenever he feels like it. He can go and shut down the temperature inside of a burning, fiery furnace for three men who decided they weren't going to bow to the nation of the day and to the king that was standing in front of them. He goes ahead and says, well, you know, that's fine. And he goes, I'll just join you in there. It's not even bad in there. If he can do that, what's the point? What do you and I have that he can't take care of? So what increases your faith? Reading the Bible. Learning the Bible. Studying the Bible. Preaching the Bible. Look over at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. I'm going to hurry up now, alright? I don't know if I'm going to finish any quicker, but I'm going to hurry up. That's what I'm going to do. The Bible is your basis of salvation. It's also your basis of all your faith. Not only that, it's our basis of knowledge. In Acts chapter 18, verse number 24, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Icaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. I say, what do you gain? You gain knowledge. The scriptures give you knowledge that you didn't have before. Notice this. Uh, Apollos is great. I mean, he's an eloquent man. He's mighty in the scriptures. He shows up at Ephesus. He's preaching. But as he's preaching, Aquila and Priscilla, they hear him and they go, Oh man, <laughs> he's got some things, but he's missing a piece. He's missing something. Say, so what's he got? He's got up to the baptism of John, but he doesn't have the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's missing a piece. So you know they say, they say, hey, uh, Apollos, can I show you something? And they show him Jesus Christ in the scriptures. He learned something he didn't know. He believed through grace. Faith and grace, there it is. He gets salvation, you know what he does? He takes what he already knew and adds it to what he now knows because the scriptures came to light. And he preaches out of the scriptures, Jesus He's no longer preaching the baptism of John. 
He's preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's preaching what he knows to be true. Now he knows about salvation. You know what Christians do? They get saved and they, come, they start coming to church and they start doing what they're supposed to do. Amen. Do that. But you know what you ought to do? You ought to learn how to tell somebody about Jesus. You ought to know how salvation worked for you. You ought to know how to be a witness and a testimony. You say, how do I do that? You learn it out of the Bible. You get to know how to lead somebody else and tell somebody else about Jesus. In Genesis chapter 1, you find out how life began. The world didn't know that. You have no guarantee of that without a Bible. We also understood in Genesis chapter 3 how the fall of man started. Where did sin come from? How did man become sinful? We learned about God in a Bible. Realize God wanted you to know who He is. That's There's no other God in the world. No other God in the universe that actually wants you to know them personally. Oh, they want you to know who they are so you can worship them and then die for them. This is the only God in the universe, the almighty God, who reaches out and says, I want you to know who I am because I want a relationship with you. It's not a one way, I know who you are, now do these things. It is a, I know who you are and I want you to know who I am. Paul makes the statement in Philippians chapter 3 that I may know him. Personal God. A world doesn't believe in a personal God. You didn't know God wanted to be a personal God to you until you found a Bible. <laughs> that God would want a relationship with you. You know, most people think when they think of God, they think of God as a taskmaster way up there. He's the man upstairs. He's this, he's that. And they go, but I can't reach him. That's religion. And you're right, in and of yourselves, you aren't stepping into heaven. Got that part figured out. But that's why God came down to meet you. Christianity, true Christianity, salvation is truly found because God was willing to step down and come to you and to pay for you because he wants a relationship with man. God knows your thoughts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, He knows all of your thoughts. You can know God's thoughts. He knows yours. You can know God's thoughts. We have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 16. You can know what God thinks about things. Whoever thought that would be possible? In the Old Testament, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. You get to the New Testament, He says we, we have the mind of Christ. You mean I can know how God thinks? You ever work with people or maybe you're married to somebody or maybe whatever and you think, boy, I wish I could figure out how they think. <laughs> that would make life easier. <laughs> I mean, James thought that Tanya poisoned him. <laughs> and now I have to apologize for my prayer request on Wednesday. That was pre-cooked sausage and she did not poison her husband. All right. For the record, they found the packaging she did not undercook sausage. James is just, I don't know what was happening to him, but he was still dying. But it was not food poisoning from Tanya, all right? Some people think certain things. Uh, you don't know what they're thinking. You're welcome, Tanya. I got that in there. So my apology is complete. Um, 
I was led astray. Um, we go, boy, I wish I knew how so-and-so thought because I would be able to, if I knew what they were thinking, I could, I could anticipate what they want. When you start working with somebody, I worked with Pastor Legault for, I mean, I've known him my, virtually, if not all of my entire life. And I've worked with him. I was his, I was his associate for almost 11 years. I, I grew up in the church. I was part of the church. I've known him. And a lot of times, you know what that did? That made it so we knew what we needed to do. I knew what he was thinking. Before he needed it, I already was getting it. Before it needed to be done, in his mind, I already had seen that he was going to want that taken care of, and we tried to take care of it. Say, well, did you miss? Of course we missed. I missed stuff all the time. But boy, there were certain things that I knew I could take care of because I knew what he wanted. I knew how he thought. Christian, you know what is amazing? If you know what God's thinking, then you'll know what he wants. You didn't know that before you got saved. You don't know that outside of a Bible. How do you know what God's thinking if you don't pick up a Bible and have it? God gave you his mind so you could know his thoughts so you could go ahead and serve him really well. You know, I, I was at a restaurant one time. I remember where I was. Uh, I was at a restaurant one time. I remember, the, I remember the waitress we had. She's the best waitress I've ever had in my life, and I thought, why in the world are you working here? Like, why? She walked up to our tailor, probably six, eight people sitting at the table. Waitress walks up, no pad in hand. <laughs> I need like six pads to figure out what people order. She takes all of our drink orders, comes back, takes all of our food orders, all the little special things and all the crazy things, right, that you do sitting at the table and all the ways you want it and all the things. She walks away. I don't know how my glass got refilled ever. I didn't see that woman come back to the table ever. I didn't ask for it. I didn't go, oh, hey, can you get me another, you know. She just kept walking. And, right, you've had that waitress, right? They have no idea that you exist or want anything, right? This woman, <laughs> they like dropped it on the table and they're like, here, I picked it up off the floor. You're fine. And right, those waitresses, this woman, she would step up and I mean, she would like sneak in between people somehow. And all of a sudden your one glass would be, there'd be a full glass and your other glass had disappeared as if it never even got emptied. You're like, that's the same glass. What did, how did, all our food was perfect. There wasn't one missed order on that. All the weird little special things. She was Unbelievable best waitress you realize i remember that woman it has been i was at pbi i was like 2004 2005 i still remember that waitress you think lord's gonna forget it when you do all the things you know to do just the way you know he'd like them you think he's gonna forget about you come on christian you get up there to judgment seat of christ you'd find out he'd reward you greatly you don't think that woman got a great tip that night? She was like a magician. Where she, she appeared out of nowhere, just dropping stuff, boom, on the table. You're like, the Lord's done that for you more than once. Could you do that for him? Lord, I know you'd want that done. I might as well get that done now. I shouldn't put that off. I know he wants that changed. So how do you know what he wants? Pages of a Bible. Pages of a Bible. He gave us all things, 2 Peter chapter 1, He gave us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How you live and how you worship Him. He gave it to you. You say, where did He give it? Pages of a Bible. 
How do I know what to change in my life after I get saved? Start reading the Bible. Start, start paying attention to what the Bible said. Come to church, come to Sunday school, come to all the times that it's open so you can hear God preached. The Word of God goes out and you get it preached to you and you get to learn. Go to discipleship. We'll start teaching you one-on-one. You, go places, you do all these things and you start picking it up yourself and start reading it yourself. You know what you'll get? You'll figure out what He wants you to do. You'll learn all the things that pertain unto life and godliness. They're all found in the Scriptures. How do I live and how do I worship Him? They're found in the pages of a Bible. Well, I don't know what to do. Pick up a Bible, start reading. You'll find out. It'll start changing your life. If you'd let it. If you'd read it. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You know where I'm going? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10, he says this, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, the Bible why does it matter? Why does it matter that I have it? It matters because it, it gave you salvation. It matters because it builds your faith. It matters because it gives you the knowledge you need to live in this world. But it also is the only defense and weapon that you have. Christian, this is it right here. He goes down, and I don't have time to preach on all of the all of the. Uh, Armor of God, all right? I did a series on it. I've preached a one-time message on it. Pastor Legault's preached on it. You've heard it preached over and over again in this church. I'm going to give you some bullet points. If you want to look at those verses later, you can. Uh, the truth, John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The breastplate of righteousness, Hosea chapter 14 and verse number 9. The Lord that showed, or, uh, no, that's Micah. Um, yeah. Good and right, that's what it is. Righteousness, right there. Uh, I just lost the reference in my head. I don't have it written down. Uh, 14.9 though, Hosea 14.9. Uh, the preparation of the gospel of peace. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5. He told you what the gospel was. You ought to be prepared to give it. Faith, we already did it. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Salvation, we already covered that. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 23. The incorruptible Word of God. And then ultimately the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pretty plain. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. It is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There it is. That was bugging me. Hosea 14.9 Who is wise and he shall understand these things, prudent and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall thereby. Uh, we know what's right, and we know it because of what he said. 
The ways of the Lord. How do I know His ways? They're in His book. You and I are in a very tough battle, gentlemen, ladies. We're in a, we're in a battle. We're in a warfare. If you're saved in here, you are on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ and the scriptures ought to be your armor. It defends everything that you have and it keeps you safe in a world where you don't know what is truth. They are constantly twisting and manipulating what truth is to try and get you to believe a narrative that they want you to hold on to. They don't want to let you understand what righteousness is. They want to go ahead and call evil good and good evil, and they want to get rid of the idea of being right. They don't want you to be ready to preach the gospel of peace. They want to go ahead and muzzle you and make it so you can't do it. They don't want you to be a man of faith. They don't want you to stand upon principle and faith and believe that God could do any of the things. They want to take that faith from you. They don't want you to believe that anybody could be saved so your helmet of salvation would be tainted and damaged and pulled off so that you wouldn't be able to believe that God could save. Well, how could God save you forever? How could you know that? Because God said so in his book. He promised that he would give me eternal life if I trusted him. And they don't want you to have the word of God. They want to take that from you too. And the devil wants to make sure your armaments are all taken down so that you cannot defend yourself and you cannot go ahead and fight in a battle because you have no weapon left. That's what the devil wants. That's the one you're fighting against. And they want to strip that all away from you. And you wonder why the Bible is important. The Bible is so important and vital to your life that if you don't pick it up, you won't have the armor on. And if you don't have the armor on, you become another casualty, just like every other Christian who decided not to put it on. Boy, you sound really fired up about this because I hate watching people fall because they don't just do the simplest thing of putting some armor on. Why is the Bible so important? Because it's the thing that will keep you in this life. We encourage it often here. We encourage you to read. We give out Bible reading calendars. I, I, can't, I can't give you anything simpler than that. <laughs> Turn to January 1st. That's what I read on January 1st. Put you through the Bible. More than once a year. I, I, can't do anything, I can't do anything easier than that. <laughs> so that's just too much. Figure out a way to read then. Figure it out. He, he asked the question. The Lord asked the question in Matthew chapter 12, chapter 19, and chapter 22. He asked them the question. Have you not read? <laughs> Have you not read? You do a disservice to yourself by not reading the Bible. You're doing a disservice to you. He's asking them that question. Like, don't you know what I'm talking about? Haven't you read that before? I was talking, I was talking, I don't think Brother John will have a problem with this. Uh, I was talking to Brother John Matelski back there, and uh, he came up and he said, You know, now that we've read our Bible through a couple of times, I haven't been saved real long. They've, they've read their Bible through a few times now. They said, you start going to a passage and we, we at least know what you're talking about. We at least know what you're talking about. You know what's amazing? You go to churches all over the place, you open up a Bible, you go, okay, and you try to assume that they understand something or that they've read something or that they know something, and they look at you like, I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Who's Jonah? 
who's Jesus? Like, you're like, whoa, 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 uh, you know. Because they've never read. They've never read. And they go, well, what does it matter? It's the thing that will keep you alive. It gave you eternal life, and it will keep you alive in this life. It will be your best protection. John chapter 5, he tells them, search the scriptures. Search them. Comb its pages. 2 Timothy chapter 2, he told them to study. Verse number 15, right? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And it's not study whatever you want to study. Rightly dividing the word of truth, he tells you what to get into. Study the word of God. Study the word of truth. We study all sorts of other things, but we don't study a Bible. He says in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We're doing memory verses in Sunday school. You ought to get involved in that. Some people started really well. You did run well. Who did hinder you? Why'd you stop doing them? Because some did. How do you know that? I have the checklist. (laughs) Some started and they stopped. Quiet right there. So why do we have a problem? Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Say, where are we going to make an error? Because you don't know the scriptures. You don't know what God said about it. So you make a mistake because you don't know. Why is the Bible so important? Why did God give us a Bible? So you could know Him. And you could live the way He wants you to live. He can bless your life. He can take care of your needs. He can save you for all of eternity. He can keep you for all of eternity. He can go ahead and give you the armor you need to survive in a battle that you and I would never be able to survive with without Him. But the sad truth is, more Christians leave it set aside and covered in dust there are those who pick it up and read it. I know who I'm talking to. I know the crowd I'm in. Sadly, people who go, oh, I'm, a, I'm a big King James Bible believing, and they don't even read it. They tout it, and they don't read it. They know what they want to say about it, they don't read it. They'd rather watch a YouTube video than read the Bible. They'd rather go ahead and uh, go ahead and listen to some book on tape instead of reading the Bible. They'd rather go ahead and supplement with something. Well, you know, I listened to 42 preachers this week on YouTube. Yeah, but she didn't pick up and read a Bible. There is no substitute for reading your Bible. There is no substitute for setting foot and sitting down in a church service. YouTube doesn't fix that either. I'll get to that eventually in one of these. Listening to it and doing all those, it doesn't do the same as sitting down inside of a church service. It is the same as trying to get it some other way than picking it up and reading it. You don't get it the same way. The Bible is there and it is available and it is right there. And if you don't have one, I'll walk into this room right over here and I'll grab you one. And I'll give it to you as a free gift. From our church to you. Doesn't bother me. I'd rather have you have it than for you to not have it. I'll walk in there. We'll grab another one. 
We'll grab another. I'll give out, I'll give out, I don't know how many Bibles I've got in there. I've probably got 30 or 40. I'll give out 30 or 40 today. When I run out, I'll walk into my office. I've got, I've got my own personal ones. I'll start handing those away. So have you done that? I've done that. I've given away my own personal Bibles. Why? Because somebody needed one. The Lord wants you to have it. Not only did He want you just to have it, He wants you to read it. He wants you to live it. He wants you to understand. He gave it to you. And we lose the importance of the Bible because we decide to set it aside and say it doesn't really matter to me. Lord, I know you magnified it above all your name, but to me, I'm going to leave it sitting down in a pew. I'm going to leave it behind on a bookshelf. I'm going to go ahead and when I get home, I'm going to toss it off to the side. Or I'm going to leave it in my car and I'll never pick it up until I have to turn around and come back to church next Sunday morning. That's not what the Bible's there for. It's far more important than that. And if you think that's all it is, then I'm sorry for you. The Lord has made it very plain. He gave you the scriptures because it's important for you to have them. And it's important for you to use them. Let's go ahead and stand. This morning, I talked a little bit about it. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity. We're going to sing an invitation to Him here in just a moment. We'll invite you to come. And if you need to come, you can come and get my attention and I'll gladly have somebody take a Bible. I'll take a Bible if you want me to do it. We'll open up a Bible and we'll show you the answers of what God says in the Bible about your sin and what Jesus Christ has done for you to pay the debt of your sin and how you can pray and ask Him to save you forever and He'll do it. He'll do it. Chris, you're in here today. Maybe you just haven't loved the Bible the way you ought to. Maybe you haven't been reading your Bible the way you ought to. Maybe you haven't been doing the things you know. Maybe it was something that I said in there about just doing the right thing at the right time and you know what the Lord has wanted you to do and you just haven't done it because the Word of God has already been speaking to you before this. But you, you haven't chosen to get it done and you haven't chosen to set it aside and go do it. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Or maybe you just want to come down and go, Lord, thank you for giving me a Bible. This book is the most precious physical thing on this planet. This is the best gift God has given you. I know salvation, that's the internal. The best thing he has given you is this book right here. It's the most precious gift you have. And we thank God for his salvation and we thank him for saving us for all of eternity and you ought to, but maybe you need to come down and go, thank you God for a book so I'm not lost in the weeds. That you brought it to me for my salvation. That you showed me the truth and that I have it and I know it and I have a place to stand so that I don't get sunk in the rest of the world. Father, I thank you for the day. I pray you would bless the invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen.